listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to our podcast live from the ABA section of Antitrust Law Spring Meeting 2018. I'm Hilashim Shoni and I'm the host for today's episode, which is being recorded on location at the ABA section of Antitrust Law Spring Meeting 2018 in Washington, D.C. With me today, we have Doug Ross, a partner at Davis Wright Tremaine in Seattle, and Jeff Brennan, a partner at McDermott, Will, and Emery. Good morning to you both. Good morning. So before we get started, please tell us more about what you do on a day-to-day. We'll start with Doug. On a day-to-day basis? Yeah. Uh, I really do two things now. I'm a partner at the firm, as you said, and I do antitrust work, and most of that is in healthcare. Uh, I also teach at the University of Washington School of Law, where I teach the antitrust course and a seminar on competition in healthcare. So that's what I do. Excellent. Jeff? Similar to Doug, I'm a partner at McDermott, Will & Emery, as you mentioned. Uh, I'm an antitrust partner, and a lot of my work is in the healthcare area, so that's a major focus of my work. And as a partner in a law firm, I try to spend time not just doing the legal work, but helping the firm grow and helping to train and, and develop younger associates to, you know, be able to be successful in their careers as well. Well, thank you both for joining us. Um, our topic today is, are you ready for checkup, your checkup, an update on healthcare antitrust enforcement? So we've had a busy year. It seems like almost every year is busy in healthcare. What's going on? What's going on now? Let's start with Doug. A tremendous amount is going on. You know, by way of background, I started doing antitrust healthcare three decades ago. And I remember thinking this will last for a few years. And I didn't realize a few years would be forever. Uh, and I think there's going to be no end to it. There are always new issues. The Federal Trade Commission and Department of Justice are both extremely active. But what's really new in the last uh, year is the activity of the state attorneys general. They have always been active in antitrust and healthcare in particular. But we now have state attorneys general bringing their own cases, healthcare antitrust cases, and the most famous of which, uh, at least the most recent of which, is a case the California attorney general filed a couple of weeks ago against Sutter Health, arguing that Sutter has engaged in a variety of anti-competitive practices that abuse its supposed market power. So that's something very new and very interesting. Great. Jeff? Doug certainly mentioned some recent very hot topics. I was just thinking before we began about the list of different areas in which there's active antitrust enforcement. Uh, There's a slew of vertical transactions right now in the health space involving uh, pharmacy uh, companies with PBM subsidiaries and with proposed acquisitions or or transactions with with health plans. Hospital mergers are always going strong, and that's an important topic in my practice and, and Doug's as well. There's physician practice transactions that are increasingly the focus of the Federal Trade Commission and the state attorneys general as as well. Doug mentioned the California case against Sutter Health uh, that was just filed a week or so ago. And then on the farm, we can't forget the pharmaceutical space where there's price fixing investigations by the Department of Justice. The pay for delay area at the Federal Trade Commission is a hot area of litigation right now following the Supreme Court's decision in the FTCV activist case a few years ago, which held that rule of reason analysis applies and district courts go apply the rule of reason analysis. So we're seeing that law develop. We have DOJ lawsuit in North Carolina against the health system with respect to contracting practices uh, with with health plans. So 
just to keep your arms around everything that's going on is uh, chore enough without, you know, being responsive to your clients to understand in each of these segments pretty much, you know, what's the agency or what's the plaintiff complaining about and, you know, tell us about that litigation and what risk does that, may that uh, suggest that we have to be careful about. So there's a lot happening. There's an interesting point there that Jeff makes about the vertical cases, the CVS, Aetna, and so on that have been announced, or at least are some have been announced and others are in negotiations, but there have to be right now at least a half dozen of them. Uh, you may be primarily a healthcare antitrust lawyer, but obviously those vertical cases, all of us are looking at what's happening right now in the uh, District of Columbia uh, courtroom presided over by Judge Leon, where AT&T and Time Warner are seeking to get their deal through against DOJ opposition. What happens there, though that's nothing to do with healthcare, is going to have a huge impact uh, or may well have a large effect on these vertical cases in the healthcare area. Indeed, a very busy time. So a year plus into the Trump administration, are we seeing any changes in enforcement trends? I would say that the the short answer followed by an explanation is no, but you have to go agency by agency. The Department of Justice, of course, is an executive agency. The Assistant Attorney General there, Macon Delrahim, appears to be continuing with traditional antitrust enforcement. Obviously, the one thing that has gotten the greatest attention, and is arguably something different, is that AT&T Time Warner case. In healthcare, the antitrust division concentrates on payer mergers or the insurance industry, and they've got the CVS Aetna case. It'll be very interesting to see what they do. They've got the investigation, I should say. There's no case there yet. What they do with that. So I, I would say right now, nothing in the healthcare area is dramatically different. In the Federal Trade Commission, we have no new commissioners yet. They've been nominated or named, but none has been confirmed. So that agency is functioning much as it has in the past with respect to health care, at least as far as I, I can tell. Jeff, do you agree? I do agree with that point. Just to follow up on a few things that Doug mentioned with which I fully agree um, and have likewise observed, the AT&T Time Warner case, again, we're going off the healthcare topic, but for a healthcare reason, hopefully. The one thing that Macon Delraheim, the uh, Assistant Attorney General for Antitrust, came out with a policy pronouncement last fall with respect to vertical transactions, and traditionally, uh, the issue in vertical transactions was foreclosure of competitors who need access to either the upstream or the downstream uh, market involved in that transaction. And the Assistant Attorney General said that he views conduct remedies, you know, sort of ongoing regulatory uh, requirements and consent decrees to make sure that there aren't steps taken toward foreclosure uh, and things like firewalls, which are traditional in uh, vertical transactions. So competitively sensitive information doesn't flow between the, the two parties that the policy, the Justice Department, will see how that progresses. Uh, the approach will be more structural. Uh, meaning they'll just try to block the merger rather than let the merger go forward with conduct remedies. And, you know, maybe that played into the AT&T Time Warner. I would suspect it did. But we'll see how that case is decided and what remedy uh, the court puts in, outright block or something else. And then with respect to the FTC, uh, again, Doug's right. They have two commissioners, one Democrat and the chair, the chairman, a Republican. And, and so the replacements are waiting in the wings, but they need Senate confirmation. I do think there's some observations that we can make some 
predictions very cautiously, and but we'll see. But Joe Simons, who's the uh, the nominee to be the new chairman, comes with a very strong track record in antitrust, and uh, he's the former bureau director of the FTC from 2001 to 2003, and he has a record there. Christine Wilson, nominated commissioner, was the chief of staff to the chairman in that same time period, Tim Muris, and now she worked closely with, with Joe back in those that time period. Bruce Hoffman, who's the incumbent bureau director, and I would suspect will continue to be bureau director once the new uh, commissioner regime comes in, also has a track record from time as a deputy director at the FTC in the same time period in the, in the mid, early and mid-2000s. So I had the good fortune of working with those folks at the same time in healthcare. Uh, that was my beat at the time at the healthcare uh, division at the FTC. And from my personal experience for what that's worth, I mean, what we have coming in are very smart, very experienced, very policy-oriented, as well as law enforcement-oriented lawyers with great familiarity of antitrust. But that was a period of active healthcare enforcement back then. And so if one goes back and looks at what took place during that time period, they'll find an active healthcare antitrust enforcement. Uh, and I can talk about that further if, if we have time. But and, and Joe Simons was the head of the Bureau of Competition when all that was taking place on the competition side. There was activity on the consumer protection side as well. So there's a lot to look forward to and prepare for. And uh, we'll see if history repeats in some respects. And my final thought on, on this question is the FTC is so deep into healthcare law enforcement now that goes back a long time, uh, Democratic and Republican administrations. I don't see any let up there. I think you see in the hospital merger area, for example, all the actions to block hospital mergers in the last how many years, they've been Democratic and Republican and unanimous votes. And so there's not a whole lot of daylight, uh, at least based on the, the public record between Democrat and uh, Republican on, on hospital mergers, at least the ones they decide to vote out. So, um, you know, all, all we can do is do our best to sort of read the past and, and make some predictions and, and, and deal with it as it comes forward. But I think it's still a time for the health industry and the council who, uh, who work with them to be on their toes and expect vigorous enforcement. The FTC came out yesterday or a day or two ago with an annual report that it, that it releases every time at about this, this point in the year in which they have a great pie chart and summarize the cases they've brought over the last five years. And what you see when you look at that pie chart is that almost half of the cases they've brought over the last five years are in healthcare. If we define it broadly, as Jeff did earlier, to be not just cases involving hospitals and physicians, but also pharmaceutical and medical equipment companies. Uh, what is interesting there actually is that the slice of the pie devoted to the traditional health care enforcement actions has shrunk slightly over the last couple of years, and the slice devoted to pharmaceutical and medical equipment has grown. But overall, they've been at about half of the total number of actions, and that's been the case for a while. Great. Very interesting times. Um, you both mentioned AG enforcement can you touch on that a little more? Where do you think this is coming from, this new wave of enforcement, and where is it focused on? Um, let's start with Jeff. You mean AG at the federal level or the state level? The state level. Sure. They've got great leadership. Vic Doman is the head of the, the National Association of AGs, the antitrust group, and he's a really smart lawyer and um, takes it very seriously, and it's a high priority for him in that role, just reflecting that of all the AGs. So I think that's one factor. There's just a lot of 
strong state attorneys general that we have across the country. And, you know, some states focus more on antitrust than others, but it's a, it's a large number. And if you look at who joins some of these cases, it's big numbers. I think 48 states in, in, in one of the cases, I just heard that statistic, who, who joined on. Why is that? I, I think there's just so much happening in, in healthcare. There's, you're seeing a lot of consolidation in healthcare in the provider sector, for sure, is a, basically a local market industry. Hospitals compete within their, you know, set of counties where their service area is. Physicians, the same thing. And so when there's consolidation, a lot of it is local, and local is more likely, or at least highly likely, to uh, attract the attention of the local law enforcement agencies, which is the state uh, attorney general. So, uh, you know, a hospital merger in a state is a big deal in, the, in those communities. You know, in, in our current economy, they're oftentimes the biggest employer in their community. So there's a lot of jobs there, a lot of interest in what's happening to my hospital and, and my employer. That's one part of it. And there's just, with the FTC activity and all the literature that's now out there about, you know, showing data and arguing that, you know, concentration, high concentration in, in uh, hospital markets leads to higher prices. And, and the FTC has led the field on that for, you know, a number of years. In the last 15, it's really exploded. So the states are very conscious of their own communities. And it's just a natural place for state law enforcement agencies to go because it's innately local, it's, it's innately within the state boundaries, and it's not a situation where, you know, there might be 30 states with an interest because it covers a big swath of the country, so a state may say, well, I'll take a pass on leading on this one because I have to allocate my resources. When it's a hospital merger, physician merger, other type of transaction or activity within the state borders, you're just more likely to see, because of all the activity, that state diving in and taking a look. I wonder if there isn't something, I agree with everything Jeff said, uh, healthcare, especially on the provider, hospital and physician side is local, so it's not surprising in some sense that states take the lead. Uh, what's interesting, though, is the change over the last couple of years. It used to be the Federal Trade Commission would bring a hospital merger case. They very much wanted to have the state as a co-plaintiff, and in almost all of their cases for a number of years, they've done that, uh, and that's very effective. Uh, but what we're seeing now is states bring some cases without the Federal Trade Commission. And the, the one that I mentioned, the case brought by the California Attorney General against Sutter, is an example of that. Another example in my home state of Washington, the Washington Attorney General filed suit last year against a health care system uh, in a rural part of the state, a large national health care system, though, that had acquired two physician groups, and they brought that case on their own and uh, not with the FTC. And one other uh, development of some interest, last year, the FTC and the state of Minnesota both investigated a physician merger uh, in Minnesota. Ultimately, the FTC decided to resolve it with a consent decree. The state of Minnesota got very upset at that and actually filed a public comment objecting to it and saying that the Federal Trade Commission should just go ahead and sue these doctors and insist on complete undoing of the transaction. Uh, so there's a little bit, at least if you're looking at it from the outside, there appears to be a little bit of friction between the agencies, the FTC, let's say, and state AGs. And I'm not sure if that's a correct observation or not, but we're seeing some different behaviors. And on the Department of Justice side, uh, the AT&T Time Warner case 
when that complaint was filed, it was shopped around to a lot of states, not a single one signed on, which is unusual. So those are trends we definitely want to follow. And picking up on Doug's comment, where there may be, there are differences between states and the FTC, so it's not always unison, is in the uh, immunity area. In the past, just beginning of this year, after a long investigation, two hospital systems in Tennessee merged under the Tennessee and Virginia state action immunity statutes. And what this was, was a merger between two large health systems with many hospitals in eastern Tennessee. And the FTC was vocal opposing that merger. Um, The parties applied for approval under the state process to be permitted to close the merger while going forward uh, under active supervision by the state. So a regulatory model to displace competition. Uh, There was a lot of um, intervention by the FTC, filing papers and so forth, saying that that's a bad idea. And the states of Tennessee and Virginia, which the, the two merging hospital systems overlap the two states. They have hospitals in both states, and they applied for this immunity in both states. And in each case, uh, the State Department of Health, with interaction with the AG, we don't have visibility into exactly those communications, but the states approved the merger over the opposition of the Federal Trade Commission. So, uh, And the same thing happened in West Virginia a couple of years ago, where the FTC opposed the merger to the point of actually filing a lawsuit to block it. And then the, the, the parties followed up with applying under a newly enacted West Virginia statute that would permit even anti-competitive mergers if there can be a showing under the state balancing test that benefits would outweigh the disadvantages to the community. And the states would actively supervise the merge system to make sure that the merge system is living up to its commitments uh, and providing those benefits. And, you know, we'll see what happens going forward because the obligation is on the states to actively supervise these combined entities or else under longstanding Supreme Court doctrine, the parties lose the state action immunity and they'd be subject to suit. So that's another area of late breaking, so to speak, uh, activity. And you're seeing differences of views between, you know, three states uh, at least in their health department world uh, with some interaction with their uh, attorney general offices and the FTC. So just one more thing for us to watch, see if that's a trend or just coincidence of two mergers happening under this immunity statutory regime with no more to come. We'll just have to keep an eye on that. That's an interesting dynamic. Uh, To shift gears a little bit, I want to ask you guys, when a young attorney wants to break into healthcare and antitrust, what are the best resources? What should they be thinking of? Doug? There are lots of resources, and clearly they they should look within. If we're talking about somebody who's joined a law firm or joined the government, uh, you're going to have resources there. Uh, it's important, I think, if you, uh, let's say you're an associate at a law firm, not just to focus on the antitrust side of things, but to focus on healthcare so that you understand the industry better. Uh, and that's, and if you're in the government or any other part of the profession, you really need to understand and find ways to get to understand the industry. It's a complicated industry, it's highly regulated, and without a good understanding of how healthcare works, how commercial payers and the government pay for healthcare, you're going to have, you're going to struggle. So you need to understand the industry well. Uh, In terms of other resources that I have found incredibly useful over my career are professional organizations, the ABA, the Section of Antitrust Law. It's not the only organization out there, and you should look at other organizations that 
can support you and provide peers, but the ABA and, and similar organizations do that. It's a very good way to keep up with what's happening in the field, uh, to write, to speak, to learn, and to make connections with government lawyers and private colleagues that come in useful down the road when you get into litigation or have counseling situations uh, where you're dealing with people that you've met before and have some understanding of who they are. So those are the resources, you know, internal resources where you are and external resources through these organizations. And the ABA in particular has tremendous publications uh, on healthcare. Uh, as well as antitrust law developments, which has sections on healthcare. So all of those are things that I think each of us would look to. I echo what Doug said. I'll, I'll just underscore. I, I, I say this to associates in my firm and to interviewees who come forward, summer associates, you know, all, everyone at the earlier beginnings of their career. There's no better champion for your career than yourself. You have a lot of support systems where you go and you want to take advantage of them, but you always want to look into yourself, how can I grow in the field of my choice? And since we're talking about healthcare for, for a young lawyer or a lawyer beginning their career and find this to be an interesting area, I would just go back and play back what Doug just said and take advantage. There's just an enormous number of opportunities in today's environment. I don't think the word podcast existed when I was coming out of law school. So that's just one real-time example. There's just a lot out there take advantage of it. And if you're not sure where to go, ask somebody with, who's been around a while and, and he or she can point you in the right direction. That's wonderful advice. My last question for you both, as you mentioned, ABA programming, uh, I understand you both are involved in committee programming. Do you mind telling us what's coming up? Absolutely. May 17 and 18 in the DC area, we are going to have a two-day conference that is jointly sponsored by the ABA and the American Health Lawyers Association. And the ABA, it's jointly sponsored by the antitrust section and the health law section. So really there are three organizations. It's a two-day conference exclusively on antitrust and healthcare uh, with some terrific speakers in plenary sessions. And then we will have panels that will provide alternatives, alternative programming for the afternoons for people to attend. And I don't think you could find a healthcare topic that isn't going to be covered there. Right, and we may need a third day between now and then, depending with all that's happening. But no, it'll be two day. And again, just to underscore, there's going to be a great mix of speakers, government people. Everybody wants to hear from the government enforcers, and, 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 and they'll be present, experienced practitioners, in-house people across the board in, in different segments of healthcare, including pharma as well, obviously, as provider side and, and insurance side. So it's an example of the kind of resource Doug was referring to in response to your prior question. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of our program. I want to thank Doug and Jeff for joining us today. Um, if our listeners have any questions or wish to follow up with you, how can they reach you? They can reach me via my telephone or email. My email is my full name, douglasross at dwt.com. Uh, or they can always call me and find me on the internet. Same here. I'm at McDermott, Will & Emery in the Washington, D.C. office, mwe.com, and you can search for me there or reach out, email jbrennan at mwe.com. This concludes another podcast from ABA section of Antitrust Law Spring Meeting 2018. If you like what you've heard, please find us and rate us in Apple Podcasts. I'm Hilashim Shoni. Until next time, thank you for listening. 
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.